On July 26th, soldiers from Nigeria announced on live TV that they were taking over the affairs of the country from the democratically elected President Mohamed Bazoum. In the days that followed, the army declared support for the coup, the constitution of the country has been suspended, and ECOWAS gave a now-expired ultimatum for the return to order. Hello, welcome to The Crisis Room, a podcast from Human Angle. I am Hawa Shafi Inuhu, your host for today. In this podcast, we look at crisis trends across the country and answer the tough questions around them. This week, I am here with a guest, Hannah Ray Armstrong, a writer and policy advisor with over a decade of field-based experience in peace and security research and advocacy in North Africa and the Sahel. Hi, Hannah. Thank you for joining me today. Hi, Hawa. Thank you so much for inviting me on the show. Okay. Um, so we'll be discussing the activities that have been going on in Niger during the past um, week, particularly as regards the coup, which has, which seems like it has been successful. ECOWAS has given a deadline which passed about two days ago. Uh, I'm wondering, what's, what do you think are its mediation efforts looking like at the moment and what possible outcomes are we likely to see? So far, uh, mediation has not been successful. I think that um, the two main actors who are mediating or were attempting to mediate are ECOWAS and the United States. Um, and both have, have found uh, that the generals on the other side of the table are um, a bit more intransigent than, than they had expected. Um, so we're seeing with the ECOWAS um, mediation effort uh, not really making it out of the airport um, and now uh, an effort uh, to mediate by the United States with the um, Deputy Secretary of State uh, who was not able to meet with the top officials of the Vinta, with the top generals of the Vinta. Um So we're seeing that there's, there's not a lot of openness uh, on the Nigerian side to this mediation. Um, having said that, effective mediation takes time, uh, and in particular, the ECOWAS um, attempt uh, came in very aggressively. So that creates that's a bit of context for um, the sort of hardline attitude on, on the other side of the table. But unfortunately, the more time it takes, the more time Nigerians have to suffer from the sanctions that are being imposed. Um, which carry quite a, a heavy cost for a civilian population that's already living with extreme duress for many reasons. So with these likely outcomes, what, what are the potential risks of this? So in terms of, in terms of the outcomes, I mean, I think what's looking more and more likely is that this junta um, survives. Uh, and, and gets to sort of set its, its own agenda, um, which is following in the footsteps of, of what we've seen in the past three years in, in Mali and Burkina Faso. One possible outcome that could follow, um, which certainly happened in Mali and Burkina Faso, is another coup. Uh, so that's, that's certainly something to kind of keep an eye out for. Um, the, the sort of first months or year of reign by the junta is very likely going to be filled with many challenges on the security front um, and in terms of different ideas of what the uh, most pressing priorities are for the for the junta. So especially once the external threat of a, of a regional intervention, for instance, um, is removed, we may see more tensions between the members of the junta and more competition um, for power. In terms of the risks that that poses to the country, 
you know, obviously there's there's more um, regional instability that that you know is, is sort of a problem for everybody. Um, it weakens the country's immediate ability to be effective um, fighting uh, counterterrorism, which it's currently doing on multiple fronts. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's it's by no means a, a certain outcome, but yeah. um, it is it is a possible a possible next step. Yeah, yeah. I, I was going to my next question was going to be mm-hmm. around what the what it means for intra-regional relations. But I think you've touched on that, particularly you know in Mali, Burkina Faso, and other neighboring countries. Um, but for Niger's relations with foreign partners, do you think this might pose any kind of um, strain on them, especially in the EU, US, France, and Russia? Yeah, I mean, just to briefly t- touch a little bit on intra-regional relations. Um, I mean, I think that that bizarrely, this this might actually improve coordination between Mali, uh, Niger, and Burkina Faso if they if they to find themselves in sort of similar situations. They've already um, had you know better communications mm-hmm. with the Junta has already had better communications with um, its neighbors than with anybody else. Um, and they start, they're, they're, they have a lot in common. The three military rulers um, in each of these countries have a lot in, in common. It may seem like a not very appealing prospect, and it, it really isn't a very appealing prospect. But in terms of security and sort of cooperation, there are there could be certain advantages for these countries um, working more closely together on border threats. Because, you know, really the, the crux of the central Sahel security crisis is along the common borders of, of Mali and Niger, Mali and Burkina Faso, and Burkina Faso and Niger. So, you know, one of the difficulties with these sort of shifting alliances as France has retreated from Mali um, and sort of further invested in Niger um, has been a sort of dip in cross-border security cooperation, which is arguably even one of the one of the triggers for this coup. So that's there's a really sort of urgent need for militaries to um, work more closely on securing their borders um, with one another, and this may give a boost to these these types of efforts. In terms of relations with foreign partners, uh, we've seen France take a very sort of um, arrogant and aggressive um, attitude towards the coup, which is understandable, uh, you know, given its its interests in the country, but has is is not so far very helpful in in finding a sort of resolution. Mm-hmm. Um, the U.S. is is trying to mediate to undertake some mediation. Um, and in terms of the European Union, which is a major source of funding for the country, uh, Niger is a really important partner for two reasons. One is um, the is Europe really sort of depends on Niger for assistance in trying to curb um, migration flows from Sub-Saharan Africa up into Europe. So the EU will will really want to sort of cooperate with Niger in order to continue. Um, working on that, which is a major strategic priority for several countries in the European Union. And in terms of you know, counter-terror assistance, we'll sort of have to see what happens to several of the programs that have developed that are have created a very close relationship between the European Union and, and Niger on um, security and, and counter-terrorism. Finally, the actor that there are a lot of questions about is Russia. 
So far, we've seen sort of two different responses to the coup from the Russian state and from the Wagner Group. So the Russian uh, state, via a spokesperson for the foreign ministry, has condemned the coup and called for a return to constitutional order, while Wagner's leader, Prigozhin, has um, sort of welcomed the coup and um, called it, you know, an important step in terms of uh, decolonizing, which, you know, is, is certainly suggests that Wagner is interested in reaching out to a new client in, in the region. So that's, that's something to keep an eye on. And, you know, in terms of the mixed reactions as regards to coup, I'm wondering if that says anything about President Bazoum's track record during his short stay in power. I know he was perceived from the outside as a democratic leader, but does that align with his record inside Niger itself? There's a, I think there's a really strong, I would say there's a really strong sort of disconnect between how Bazoum was treated outside Niger and considered outside Niger and um, his reputation inside the country, mm. um, which is which is really unfortunate. And there's a, a long um, history of Western partners really sort of overlooking the activities that they don't want to see of their partners in the Sahel and sort of pretending that they're, um, you know, paragons of, of democracy, models of democracy. Uh, and then being very surprised when the countries that they're, they're leading sort of fall apart or overthrow these leaders. President, President Bazoum had, has a very mixed track record. Um, you know, his, his stay in power was, was short to some extent, um, in terms of his presidency, but he's been among the most influential figures in Niger for, for over a decade. Hmm. Uh, so, you know, where the country at is, is at right now, you know, is very linked to decisions that he's made and policies that he's advocated for. In terms of his security track record, he has presided over a really sort of significant period of consolidating security gains in areas that were dealing with um, extreme security problems. So particularly along yeah. the uh, Nigerian border with Mali, and these are this is. The gains that Niger racked up in that region are, are really the results of um, policies that he championed, you know, that include um, willingness to dialogue with um, groups that are you know, labeled terrorist groups in conjunction with using security operations to kind of redeploy uh, security elements into areas that they had retreated from, while at the same time working closely with foreign partners, in particular um, France and the U.S., um, to increase the capacity of, of Nigerian boots on the ground. This was really working um, along the Mali border. There was a drop in violence against civilians from 2021 to 2022 um, of 80%. Some of that is, is directly linked to policies that, that President Bazoum championed and that were not very popular um, and that there was resistance against. So, you know, he certainly deserves credit on, on certain fronts. In terms of his reputation, certainly outside of Niger as a sort of democratic um, leader or as the, the, the only democratic leader in the region, mm. um, this is really, this is really sort of flawed and, and overlooks a lot. You know, there, there are several examples, you know, ranging from imprisoning the main opposition leader so that he couldn't present as a presidential candidate against uh, Bazoum in 2021. There's the routine arresting and harassment of civil society leaders and journalists who um, have spoken out against certain policies. 
um, or called for investigations into corruption. There was a, a huge corruption involving the defense ministry that was under President Isufu, but you know, there, to this day, there hasn't been really proper channels of accountability and policies of locking up people who ask for these affairs to be looked into yeah. are continuing. You know, it's, it's, the, bar, the bar is pretty low in the region, leaders to be considered democratic, but it's really important to understand um, how Nigerians perceive President Bazou. Mm. And for many Nigerians in, in different regions of the country, these affairs have, have left a mark. Interesting, interesting. Thank you so much for your amazing insights. I have just one question and then we can wrap up. What are your thoughts about how things might move forward um, from now, especially seeing as the region itself is so fragile when it comes to democracy? Is this something that you think might endure or is there any sort of end in sight? I think there are a lot of possibilities at this point. It's, it's early to sort of say where we're headed. I think the, the junta is here to stay. I think it's unlikely at this point that we're going to see President Bazoum restored to power. I hope that we will see him released soon because he's a, a significant leader and has a lot of respect and, and support across the continent, across the world. In terms of, you know, I think th there's sort of a, a balance between uh, domestic interests and foreign interests that we're going to see kind of play out. You know, clearly what's more important are the domestic interests. Mm -hmm. uh, there has foreign policies of trying to stabilize the Sahel have been increasing for over a decade mm -hmm. and have no positive results. You know, and I think that there's a growing awareness that Sahelian countries really need to take back sovereignty. Some are seeing it as a, a kind of new wave of decolonization. And instead of, you know, outsourcing security and outsourcing autonomy on, on certain important economic affairs, you know, it's, it's time for the centers of decision to really be based in Sahelian capitals. The rise of military rulers, I think, reflects an appetite for that, but it does not suggest, you know, unfortunately, it's not putting into power the types of people who are best placed to make those types of decisions. So we have the, we have this sort of tragic specter of, you know, militaries being the last resort and hope for populations who have been, who have seen insecurity multiply, um, who are living in conditions of extreme poverty that's worsening, uh, who are dealing with the, the impact of, of climate change and extremely harsh environments, um, and who are, you know, finding that politicians are, are not, you know, delivering on their promises and if anything are, are presiding over periods of decline. So the thinking is, you know, if we put if we put military in power, um, at least we can sort of take it back and try to move forward in a collective direction together. But the tragic downside of that is that military rulers good at certain things and not so good at other things. And at least in Burkina Faso and, and Mali, we haven't seen an improvement. Um, if anything, we've we've seen sort of more insecurity and some really bad decisions in yeah. terms of political rule and um, increasing security. Mm. So my hope my hope is that Niger does not go down uh, a similar path. I hope so too. I really hope so too. Thank you so much, Hannah, for joining us today. This discussion has been insightful and brilliant. Thank you for joining us. Okay, thank uh, you so much. Okay. Thanks for your invitation. All right then, thank you, bye. This is an episode of Human Angle Crisis Room. Join us in two weeks for another episode. 
The producer of this episode is Andrew Walker. The executive producer is Ahmad Salkida. Thank you for joining us. If you have any thoughts as to this episode, you can share them with us on social media using the hashtag The Crisis Room. You can also send us your thoughts at info at humanangomedia.com. Thank you.